Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast program, sponsored by the Holly Street Church of Christ in Denver, Colorado. You've got your regular co-hosts today, myself, Jeff, and Brian. Brian, how are you doing this morning? Hey, doing well. Looking forward to this podcast. Indeed. And uh, we also have a special guest today, whom we had on the program uh, several times before, Alan Hitchin, uh, our preacher. Uh, good morning, Alan. How about you? Good morning. Yeah, I'm doing really well and very excited about uh, sharing some of the things that we are going to be talking about today. Yep. And in general, as, as an overall topic, and we do have a lot of material, so most likely this will be a two-part podcast on the subject of the pride of life. Now, that phrase may hmm, be a little uh, unaccustomed to our listeners. Uh, certainly, we've heard of like, you know, pride and humility, uh, but at least in terms of a biblical terminology, we'll see that that phrase you know, appears in several key passages, uh, and we'll explore with Alan kind of leading the way uh, all different kinds of aspects of this uh, topic and how we need to be careful about it and how it can, uh, you know, basically, you know, ruin our lives and our relationship, you know, not only with God, with but also with those we have around about us. So I guess, Alan, without further ado, if you want to just sort of you know, introduce the topic and uh, we can go ahead and get started. Yeah, in First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, God warns us, do not love the world or the things of the world for all that is in the world, the less of the flesh, the less of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I've thought about that a lot because most people know what the lusts of the flesh are. Uh, Romans chapter 7, Galatians chapter 5, the lusts of the flesh are manifest, and he starts just starts in fornication and adultery and uh, anger and various uh, lusts of the flesh. And so we, as Christians, we fight those. And the lust of the eyes, don't covet. Don't lust after what belongs to another. Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. So lust of the flesh are the actual activities we get involved with, and the lust of the eyes are the desires that we have. But years ago, I started thinking about the pride of life and how many times I've repented of it, how many times somebody's confessed it or or thought about it. And, and the answer kind of came back to me that, it's uh, something that we really haven't developed a lot on. And so we, we really can't guard against something unless we know what it is. And so what I like to do is I like to look at the temptation that Eve faced and the temptations that Jesus faced. And then by looking at those, we can get a better idea, I think. Because what we're going to find in the course of these uh, podcasts is that the pride of life is as multifaceted as the lust of the flesh. I mean, the lust of the flesh can go from greed to sexual desire to bitterness and anger and wrath. I mean, it just, it runs the full spectrum of sin. And so also does the, the covetousness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or your neighbor's possessions or your neighbor's reputation. And then the pride of life, though, again, is something that we want to focus on in our uh, discussion today. So we go back to Genesis and we see Eve in the garden and we see the serpent begin to talk to her and he opens up a possibility. There is no death. So she starts looking at the fruit from a very different perspective. So the first thing she saw was that it was good for food, which is clearly a desire of the flesh, a, a lust of the flesh. Second, she saw it was a delight to the eyes. And so she uh, felt that lust of the eyes. And then the third thing is, it was to be desired to make one wise. And this is the pride of life. She wants to be better. She wants to have more. And this desire to be made wise is our really, I think, our first introduction to how the pride of life can impact us. And the devil used the same techniques with Jesus. Command these stones to become bread. Well, that's the lust of the flesh. Jesus was hungry. Throw yourself off the temple. 
Well, that's the pride of life, proving that he has that kind of power. All these things I will give you if you bow down and worship me. So he's shown him things that hoping to create the pride of life. And so we think about it. And I'd like for our listeners to think a little bit about this. And and maybe I can ask you two guys, have you ever repented for Father, forgive me for the pride of life? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not something you normally kind of, uh, you know, think of. Well, and especially in our culture where, you know, it's relatively common to be, you know, proud of, you know, proud of your accomplishments or proud of, uh, you know, your children or, you know, similar kinds of things. And so, yeah, we, we tend not to think in terms of uh, it being a, a danger or a sin. Yeah, and that's a that's a really good point. There's a huge gap between uh, ambition and the pride that comes from ambition. In other words, first I want to be good at something and I want to become uh, wealthy or I want to gain certain attributes. But sometimes after you get them, they make you feel that you're better than others. They make you feel that you've reached a a height that others haven't reached. And so we have to look at arrogance versus true experience and knowledge. In other words, are we are we actually thinking of ourselves more highly than we should think because we have such knowledge? And so bragging versus true ability, being puffed up instead of being truly capable. So where's the line? Where's the line between pride that makes me feel better than other people and ambition and accomplishment which is a a good thing. That's the problem with all these things. The lusts of the flesh are not wrong in and of themselves. Uh, Every need God has given to us and every desire we have has a lawful way to be fulfilled. So that's why God gave us the ability to work and gain things. That's why he gave us the various things that we have. And so pride of life is the same. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be smart. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be the best that we can be. But We just have to realize that with that comes some temptations that we really need to think about. And so I often think about, there's two scriptures, uh, you know, when we look at pride versus ambition. The first one's in Proverbs 27, and the second one's in Proverbs 29. Brian, would you like to read those two for us, please? Yes, 27 verse 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Then Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but he that is of a lowly spirit shall obtain honor. Okay, so these two things are, I think, critical indicators. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. If we're going around to people talking about our accomplishments, talking about how great we are, talking about the things that we've done, and our goal is to show other people just how great we are, that's a, that's a real clear indication that, that we're dealing with pride. It's one thing to become the best. And it's a goal that we all have. We want If we have an occupation, we want to be the best. We want to do the best we can. And that's an honorable and a good attribute. But once we get there and we look at other people and we see ourselves as so superior to them for this reason or that reason, and if we don't think they know it, uh, so we start bragging about ourselves and, and showing them. And, and when we do that, we realize that the pride of life is now starting to rear itself up. And the same thing with that second verse, a man's pride shall bring him low. Sometimes we think we're better than we should be, or excuse me, we think we're better than we really are. And so the lowly spirit, the humility, the we don't brag. We just do the best we can. We don't talk to people about our attributes. We keep doing our own work, and we do as well as we can, and we wait. If other people praise us, it feels really good. If they don't praise us, we just keep working because we're not working for praise. We're not working for this problem of the pride of life. And so this is one of the elements where we have to understand So the pride of life basically is the misuse of wanting to win, wanting to be the best. And, you know, for example, when people become angry, we have a big problem here in America with with what we call road rage. People get cut off or somebody in front of them does something that they 
makes them angry. And, and at first thought, you might think, well, that's just uh, one of the lusts of the flesh. But the reality is, is that it really is the pride of life. When someone gets in our way, some people feel like they won and we lost. And so if we're in the grocery store and somebody tries to cut in front of us, uh, it's the pride of life that creates that fleshly lust of anger because some people, they just let them in. They just turn the other cheek. They go the second mile. They don't have any vested feelings of importance that someone else can create an anger because this person doesn't realize just how important I am or this person doesn't realize how I should be first. And when we, when we find that attitude, like I said, we need to dig a little deeper because sometimes what we think is the lust of the flesh and we're, we're fighting against something because we see it coming out in our life. But the reality is that it goes deeper than that. And sometimes we have to look a little deeper and all competitive desires. You know, we watch professional sports and we see people wanting to be the best and we we applaud that we like it we enjoy it when somebody reaches the the uh, highest levels of skill but some people want to cheat some people want to break laws some people they want to win so badly that they set aside now that's where the pride of life is coming up and pride of life makes turning the other cheek going the second mile makes it nearly impossible and and a lot of times people think to themselves if someone did strike me on the face if my first response is you just violated my rights and so I'm going to to uh to deal with that and you know even vengeance even vengeance we'll talk about this a little bit more later but vengeance often is stemming from the pride of life we keep reliving that we were abused or we were mistreated or someone didn't give us the proper respect that we thought that we should get. And that makes us want to get even with them. So let's look at a, a verse in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Jeff, would you like to read this verse? Because we want to talk about people thinking that everything belongs to them. Sure. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, or to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And that's First uh, Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Yeah, Alan, while you were talking, I'm kind of in the back of my mind thinking of synonyms. You know, it, it's one thing to have a sense of, you know, satisfaction, accomplishment, etc. But I think even, you know, in our own culture, we can see where that if that grows to a sense of being, you know, stuck up or haughty or that sense, as you said earlier, of being better than others, uh, at least within our own culture here in the United States, you know, their, their nose is stuck up in the air. You know, they think so highly of themselves, et cetera. And we can, you know, we can certainly see that in others. <laughs> the question is detecting it in ourselves. No, that's a good point, and, and that's where balance. Some people are just out of balance. They've got one thing they think they're good at, and they're so focused on that that they're, let's just say somebody's really good at their job, and they're good at making money, and they start ignoring their family. They start ignoring their responsibilities and obligations because the pride of life has kicked in, and that's all they can focus on is how great I can become, how wealthy I can be, how much I can, how I can become the greatest football player or the greatest scholar or the greatest uh, whatever our occupation is or activity is. And we just get out of balance. We get out of kilter because we're looking at this one thing and not focusing on the important things. And that's why God says, those of you who are rich, don't be haughty and don't trust in your riches. Don't focus on those riches. Focus on me because I'm the one who gave you this thing. So when we start talking about my time or my money or my abilities or my success or my intelligence or my opportunities, first of all, we're violating the passage, let another praise you and not your own lips. But more importantly, we are violating the idea that these things are not ours. They are from God. Everything we have is from God. And so if we focus on God, 
then we can crush the pride of life. But if we focus on my time, my money, my abilities, my success, God just starts to recede. And pretty soon we don't see him anymore. We're just so focused on what is ours, what we want, what we desire. And as I say, sometimes that's a lust of the flesh. And sometimes it's the lust of the eyes. But many times it's the pride of life that is behind it all. And that's why we really, truly need to focus on how we are thinking. Why did I do that? Why did I get angry with this person? And we think to ourselves, well, because I have a temper. Yeah, but let's go step back one more step. Why did that cause you to be angry? Why would it be angry if we lose a game? Why would we be angry if someone cuts in line or somebody does something to us that we don't think properly shows us respect? And as I say, as you get back into that, you start realizing, you know, my real problem here is pride. My real problem is I'm thinking better of myself than I ought to think. Or my real problem here is that I look at other people as being, I'm above them. You know, we have a term we use in the States, narcissism. And narcissism basically is the person who can only see their own needs. They don't even see the needs of other people. They don't even think about it. What is that? Well, that's the pride of life. I'm the most important thing in the world. Uh, You know, a husband who has a pride of life does not properly treat his wife. And the father who has a pride of life will not properly spend time with and take care of his children. And the the ball player who has a pride of life, he won't work as a team. He's going to do what he thinks is important. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Alan. We talk about how we live in the me generation, right? That's a comment people started making years ago. And I feel like when you think about social media, for instance, certainly here in the U.S., and we're seeing it more in the world as well, you know, we've gone through an age of where people take what we call selfies, right? Where they're taking a picture of themselves in front of things. And as you stated earlier, some of that's fine, you know, but when you're constantly doing things like taking pictures of yourself to say, hey, here's how great I look. We see that we live in a culture now where social media platforms glamorize and encourage people to basically post their car, pictures of their cars or their homes or their vacations they're taking or whatever. And no, make no mistake about it, we're all responsible for our own actions. But it's interesting how our culture really kind of promotes that attitude. And we have to be very careful that we're not just doing it because everybody else does. And once again, to the exclusion of, you know, promoting others, we're promoting ourselves instead. Yeah. And that's really what I, I, want, I want all of our listeners to be focusing on, because it's so normal that oftentimes Christians don't realize, you know, what's really hindering me from turning the other cheek and going the second mile and looking at other people as having more importance than myself. Uh, it's not the lust of the flesh. It's not the lust of the eyes. It's the pride of life. And a lot of selfishness comes from the pride of life. You see this in children. You know, babies are completely focused on everything revolves around me. Uh, and they go through the terrible twos, and we try to discipline them, but some people aren't disciplined, and they come out as adults just like two-year-olds. They come out as adults with, you know, uh, throwing tantrums or sulking or being frustrated because somebody got something that I should have got. They got the best piece of food or they got the best of this or that, and that should have been mine. And suddenly we have a conflict. And like I said, you've got to take a step back. You may never be able to conquer your wrath or anger if you can't figure out why is this? Why does this make me angry? Not everybody gets angry when these kind of things happen. And of course, the answer is the pride of life. If I can learn that other people are just as important as me and that sometimes I'll get the best, sometimes they'll get the best, and that's okay. Sometimes I'll be the one that's first, sometimes I'll be the one that, that's not first. And so we, we see this, as I say, with the rich, they, they become haughty. Uh, they're better than other people. Uh, they don't have any needs. A lot of people don't even need God because they have money in the bank and they have everything they want and they don't realize that this could all be gone in a heartbeat because we really don't have any control over these things. And the pride of life has ruined so many people. I mean, you look at Pharaoh and God asking Pharaoh to let his people go. 
and Pharaoh saying, who's the Lord? Uh, I'm not going to serve this Lord. And every time the Lord brought him low with the various plagues, as soon as that plague was gone, he snapped right back. And he became that proud, stubborn, arrogant person. And again, that's all stemming out of the pride of life. It's it's pride. It's it's an attitude. I'm greater. Uh, you know, I... <laughs> You start thinking you're greater than God. I mean, I can't think of a, <laughs> a higher uh, example of the damage that the pride of life can do to people. You know, Alan, and this may be a little bit too far onto the side, and, and you know, you can bring us back if you want. But, you know, in addition to, like, people getting angry or getting proud, you know, I'm also wondering about people that have almost like fragile egos, like it's all about them, it's all about their feelings. You know, if you say anything at all, about them or against them or their behaviors or their sin, you know, they either get, you know, crushed or, you know, lash out, you know, who are you to, you know, deny me my feelings, etc. I'm just kind of wondering if that's kind of a, another perhaps aspect of, you know, this pridefulness that we're talking about. Oh, yeah. I, I call it the pride of life and then the inverse pride of life or the upside down pride of life. Some people's pride of life makes them think that they're better than everyone else. And other people's pride of life makes them depressed and I'm nothing, I'm worthless, uh, how could God want me, how could this be? And again, we're dealing with the terrible misuses of the pride of life. God gave us a pride of life. He wants us to feel important. He wants us to have self-esteem. He wants us to feel like we have a gift. We have something to contribute. And and he wants us to be part of the family, part of the church, part of the workplace, all working together. Uh, Paul uses the illustration of a body in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And a body has many members. And the eye can't say, I don't need the rest of the body. I'm the most important. And so, and, and then on the other hand, when the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, well, there's the pride of life, what I call again, the inverse or opposite pride of life. Sometimes pride of life makes us feel better. Sometimes it makes us feel lower. And the reality is, is that, as Paul said, those parts of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. And we all need to realize that Whatever my gifts are, even if it's just to give a cup of cold water, Jesus says, you're not going to lose your reward. You're still important to me. It isn't your gifts. It isn't your abilities. It isn't what you accomplish. It's your faith. And so that, that's a really good point, Jeff. Well, true. And I guess I'm also kind of thinking of what sometimes we refer to as snowflakes. You know, very fragile egos. It's all about them. And... You know, they'll get upset if you challenge their feelings or challenge their identity or challenge, you know, as well, which I think could maybe also play into the uh, the anger part. Like, you know, who are you to deny me my, you know, desires or the things I want to do or my identity? And that's an interesting point. We're going to deal with this a little bit later because that's the problem the Pharisees had. The Pharisees would not take the rebukes from Jesus. Matter of fact, uh, when they crucified him, it was out of a misuse of the pride of life. They did not like to be rebuked. They did not like to have the people looking at them as being less than they are, because in their view, uh, they are they are already there. And and I've seen a lot of this in the church. You know, Paul told Timothy to reprove and rebuke. And some people do not like to be reproved or rebuked, even though they need it, even though it's something that is going to be helpful to them. Who are you to criticize me? Who are you to tell me these things? And this is part of what Paul said, don't let anyone despise your youth. Sometimes older people, they're struggling with their own pride. And they look at a young person who's correcting them and they say, uh, you know, you weren't even alive when I was already accomplishing some of these things. And they don't listen. And the pride of life is holding us back because if we do have a problem, we should want to have it, to hear it. I, I, I feel personally that uh, the fact of the case is, as, as one of the Proverbs says, that the rebuke will go into the heart of the wise because the wise is going, you can rebuke a wise person and he'll thank you. But the fool cannot take rebuke. He cannot take correction. And 
You know, we, we see children who will not be corrected by their parents or their teachers. And what's the problem? Well, it's pride. I'm too good for you to talk to me like this. Or I'm, I've already reached realms that you can't even conceive of. And what we do is we, we insulate ourselves or we isolate ourselves. You know, Jesus talked about stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. That's what Stephen told the Jews. And their heart has waxed fat. We've, we've got this, this complete uh, encasement of our heart. You can't touch it because of the pride of life. I'm too good. You can't tell me that I need to make any changes because I'm already there. And sadly, so many people we try to talk to about the gospel, so many people who have a glaring problem in their life, but they won't listen. They will not hear any criticism. And that's the terrible, terrible uh, consequence of the pride of life. Yeah, well, and as a result of that, therefore, some people are never approached about their sin because people know that they'll blow up, as we might say. Or we use this expression, we walk on eggshells around them, right? Not wanting to say anything to offend them because we know that they're not going to respond well. So as a result, they don't benefit from constructive criticism, we might say. Yeah, and that's that's an excellent point. And that kind of moves to the next person I wanted to talk about because really I want to kind of use uh, different individuals to show how the pride of life comes out and and give us each one of us an opportunity to look at ourselves. So, you know, we look at Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar had some serious problems with the pride of life. And we see that in the fourth chapter where God turns him into an animal. He forces him to be humbled so that he can see these things. But before that, I mean, let's let's look at Daniel chapter four, verses uh, 30 through 32. Brian, if you'd like to read that, please. Here it says, the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. Okay, so here's the perfect uh, example of the pride of life. This great Babylon that I have built. Now, we know that God put him in that position so that he could do God's will. And yet, my mighty power, the honor of my majesty. You know, you see that in the previous chapter when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down to his idol. And he's filled with rage. And he wants them thrown into the fiery furnace, and he heats it so hot that all of his soldiers die just trying to get them there. And then, of course, they fall in, and they come out. And and I think he was humbled a little bit, but it didn't last. And so here we have uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he's just completely focused on himself. He doesn't think of his soldiers who helped him. He doesn't think of, of God who put him there. I built it my mighty power, the honor of my majesty. And so while the, that word was still in the king's mouth, like I said, that was sin. It was sinful for him to say this because it's the pride of life. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so I have built my mighty power, my majesty, and God says, all right, the kingdom has departed from you until you know that it's not your power. It's not your honor. It's you haven't built it. God is in control. And those of us who are willing to recognize the truth that God is in control and humble ourselves and listen to Jesus and follow his word and change everything that we see in our lives that Uh, He has condemned. You know, a lot of times there's a clash of wills. Jesus wants me to do this, but I want to do this. If I have the pride of life, I'm not going to listen to Jesus. If I have removed that pride of life and I am humble, then I'm going to listen to him and I'm going to make the changes. And the sad thing is, is that we hold ourselves back. We hold ourselves back from the things that we could have or we could become 
because we just won't listen. Pride of life is just such an anchor around so many of us and keeps us from being a good husband, keeps us from being a good wife or good parents or a good employee or a good Christian because we just can't see our own flaws because we are encased in the pride of life. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Alan. We see this for people in the world who are not spiritually minded. But of course, with this podcast, we're speaking to a lot of people that are spiritually minded. And I think we could all agree that it's easy for us to say, well, I get it. I would never be like that. And we can be blind to our own pride as it relates to our own accomplishments, you know, maybe degrees that we've had or things that we've been able to accomplish in the workplace or just in our personal lives. And it's interesting how we can sort of be blind to that ourselves when we, once again, can easily see that in the world, but not in ourselves. Excellent point. And that reminds me of the Apostle Paul, who said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God. When we start getting self-satisfied, when we start thinking that we've already, we're already better than other people, and we can't forget that we got here because of God's grace and God's power and God's glory, and we still have a long way to go. But some people, they don't see that. And they again, they, it's sad because they could be so much more and they could do so much more for God, but they're too focused on themselves. So I think Paul's advice is wise, and that is forget those things that are behind. Regardless of how far you've come, there's a long way to go. And if we can learn that, then we're going to be like Nebuchadnezzar, because he finally comes out of it. And he will we'll see his, some of his comments here in just a few moments, but I want to look at a few other things first. Yeah, Alan, before you go there, I want to go back to something Brian said a few moments ago. In some ways, it's an interesting situation where the attitude keeps you, in some ways, from seeing the attitude, right? It's the attitude about yourself says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm highly accomplished. And hence, you have this you know, blind spot that you can't really see that, well, yeah, you might be accomplished. But because you're so proud about your accomplishments, you can't see that you're proud. <laughs> it's one of those interesting uh, situations. Yeah. And that's where humility becomes so important, because if we can recognize that we are not perfect, and yes, we've, we've got some wonderful things. Like I say, self-esteem is good. It's wonderful to look back on your Christian walk with God and see growth and development and see that you've become really good at talking to others about their soul or you've become really good at teaching Scripture or you've become really good with prayer or other activities or you've conquered your lusts and you just feel really good about yourself. But it's too easy to fall into the trap and as you say, become blinded by it. And uh, that's why Jesus said to the, to the Jews, leave them alone, because if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the pit. And sadly, there are so many people in the world today who could be so much more, but they don't have a love for the truth. They're not assessing their beliefs and their conduct with the scripture. They're self-satisfied, and they feel like they don't have any more to gain. And it's just so sad because I think a lot of people, like Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, if you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the will of my Father in heaven, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's a, that's a responsibility that's always ringing in my ears. And no matter how much I know and no matter how much growth I have, uh, I never lose sight of the fact that there still may be something. I've still got to be listening to other people. i still got to be searching. I still have to be humble. Because, like I say, the pride of life cuts us off from spiritual growth. It cuts us off from working with other people. It cuts us off from being part of a solution instead of part of a problem. Okay, let's, let's look at the apostles, because the apostles are filled with this too. And it's interesting how it comes out with them. And, of course, Jesus has to crush it. But let's look at uh, Mark chapter 9. And, uh, Jeff, you want to read that, please? Mark 9, 34 and 35. They disputed one with another on the way, who was the greatest. And he sat down, of course, that's Jesus, and called the twelve. And he said to them, 
If any man would be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Okay, and there's a really important germ of truth in this statement, and that is, yeah, we are better than other people in a lot of ways, but instead of looking that as a way to dispute and become the greatest, we need to look at it as a way to contribute and help lift other people up. Every great ability uh, can help others. And uh, so, you know, I think we have a proverb in our rising tide will raise all the boats. So if I can reach a, a, a position of greatness, I can help other people get up to positions of greatness. Instead of looking down on them and looking at them like, you know, you're not nearly as great as me. Uh, and Jesus doesn't need that in the church. You know, he doesn't need apostles who are using their greatness and their abilities to uh, basically uh, using the people to make themselves great. So he, he concludes with, if you want to be first, then look at yourself as last of all and servant of all. Use your abilities to uplift other people. That's what he did. I mean, there was no one greater on earth than Jesus, but he did not use his greatness to demand that other people look up to him. He used his greatness to lift them up. And this is a crucial point of the pride of life, because if we think our abilities are making us superior to other people, we are in the world. That is a worldly use of a wonderful emotion that God gave us. Ambition and a desire to accomplish is a tremendously important part of our life, but it can be a most, the most dangerous part. And that's what he saw in these apostles. And we don't know what they were disputing. Maybe Peter said, I'm smarter than you, or I'm better looking than you, or I have more money than you, or I'm more spiritually minded. Or did Peter could say, did he, did he call any of the rest of you a rock? He called me a rock. And John might have said, well, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And, but Jesus says, you know something? He sits down, calls the 12, and says to them, if you want to be first, then you get rid of this attitude of greatness and you look at yourself as a servant like I am a servant. So let's look at Philippians 2 now. Brian, why don't you read Philippians chapter 2? This is part of a really important section of the mind of Christ. And we'll come back and look at the mind of Christ later. But I want to focus on this one point because I think it's critical to our understanding of the dangers of the pride of life for us. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 3, says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I'll just say this real quick, Alan. You know, this part about esteeming others better than himself, you know, I was thinking about the sporting realm that you were mentioning earlier, where if you have athletes, it could be an Olympian, it could be whatever, professional baseball player, whatever it might be. And, you know, they spend a lot of time working on becoming the best they can be. And often they will find it difficult to praise other athletes, in fact, because of their competitive nature. That would be the last thing that they would say is, well, you're better than me. No, they, they want to make sure everybody knows I'm the best, you know, anyhow. I get that's just in the sporting realm, and what we're talking about is much more serious, right? Because we're talking about spiritual matters in all of our lives. But I guess my point is is that it's just something that's counterintuitive to us at times because, yes, we work hard for what we accomplish, and to say someone's better than us just doesn't quite feel right sometimes. So anyhow. And that's, that's exactly a, that's a really good point because, you know, if you think about it, I might be sick, but until I have symptoms— until I have cough or sneezing or runny nose or itchy throat or aching all over, I, I'm not going to take any action. I may be really sick, but I'm not aware of it. And that's the pride of life. And what you're talking about is just one aspect. Everything we're talking about here are symptoms, symptoms of the pride of life. As I said at the very beginning, all that is in the world, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so I've got to find it. I've got to ferret it out. I've got to remove it. And your example of, uh, of this, the athletes or 
the guy on the road who thinks that he's the best and if anybody gets in his way then they should be shot or they should be killed or they should be I should strike them with my car that's a symptom and it's a symptom when our wife comes to us or our husband come to us to offer a, a constructive criticism and instead of thanking them we get angry why are you criticizing me why are you uh, and we don't see and so this passage helps us again to, to put this into perspective. Selfish ambition and empty conceit are the main symptoms of the pride of life. Selfish ambition means, what's in it for me? If I'm going to go do this good deed, you know, like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, when you do alms or when you fast, don't blow a trumpet. Don't Make it so that other men see you, because if you do, they've received your reward in full. So you see where the pride of life has just destroyed a blessing or a reward I might have received, because I'm doing it through selfish ambition. I'm doing it, yeah, I'm going to fast to God, but I'm not going to fast to God unless I get something from it. And that's selfish ambition. Now, empty conceit, on the other hand, that's where uh, we, we go to do something and we fail because we thought we were better than we actually are. And, and then, of course, we get angry. Instead of apologizing because we couldn't accomplish something, we get angry and we blame the other person. Well, you shouldn't have asked me to do it. You knew I wasn't very good at it. And so nothing in our, in our employment, in our family, in the church, in our relationships with other people, commerce, uh, 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 friendships, hobbies, nothing through selfish ambition. Now that opens up a huge vista because now I've got to start assessing myself at work and in the church. Am I doing these things for God or am I doing these things for the praise of men? Am I seeing myself clearly or do I think of myself more highly than I ought to think? Now that's the, the negative side. Uh, you guys have any comments on that before we talk about the positive side? Well, since you mentioned commerce, one of the thoughts in the back of my mind, you know, certainly in like a, you know, consumer economy or, you know, in retail, if we go into a store or if we go into a restaurant, well, we expect to be served, right? Uh, and that, yes, we are the consumer, but you can kind of see how that gets into a, you know, negative or excessive thing when you see, you know, customers you know, abusing the staff or abusing the, the waitress or whatever, uh, and, you know, demanding, you know, et cetera. Uh, you know, you can easily see that, as you mentioned, yet another symptom where they expect to be first, they expect to be treated that way, and certainly not to, you know, serve others. You know, others are there to serve them. That's an excellent point, and that's, that's exactly what the pride of life is. It's masking itself. But that's the pride of life. The other day I was in a busy store and people were just cutting me off here and cutting me. I finally got irritated. And I thought, why don't these people, let, don't they understand how important my time is? And don't they understand how important it is for everybody should just move out of the way and let me go through? And, you know, I had to chuckle and tell myself, well, if everybody felt like that, we'd have a big mess. And, and, and that's why we need a lowliness of mind and humility. Uh, and that brings us to the other side of this. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So instead of me forcing my way into the store or into where I want to go and banging into someone, or instead of forcing my way to be on the road and, and pushing things, or in any realm, let each esteem others better than himself. In other words, you have every right to be here, and you have every right for me to help you. And I shouldn't see you as a slave or as someone who's beneath me. I should see you, and, and, and of course I'm talking in the Christian realm, uh, we should see other people as better than ourselves. And then we don't get angry if they do something that, that how dare they. Uh, if we think of them as better than ourselves, we wouldn't do that. If we think of other people as their needs are just as important as mine, then we're going to really be able to crush this pride of life and make ourselves useful to God because that's the reality. As far as God is concerned, the needs of others are. And that's what Jesus did when he went to the cross. He considered us better than himself. He didn't have to do that. And he could have become angry and said, you guys are not treating me the way I should be treated. Don't you know I'm the son of God? Don't you know that I helped create the heavens and the earth and you're treating me like this? 
of course, if he'd done that, we wouldn't be saved. So we needed him to lift us up. And if we're going to be like him, then we need to also look to others and try to be like Jesus. Yeah, that's such an important point, Alan. You know, what's interesting is we're, you were talking earlier about road rage. And, and think about all the stress that comes from feeling like people owe you something. What you're pointing out, I think, is critical because what it does is it completely removes stress. So think about instead of being mad that somebody cut you off, maybe you put on your brakes and you let them over. I was talking to my son about this yesterday as we were driving around. And that you can really reduce stress when you drive if you just let people over. Or maybe you're walking and you open the door for somebody and let them in. When you put others first, it not only makes it less stressful, it's just the right thing to do, right? But but I do like to mention the stress part of it because I think sometimes we allow ourselves to become very agitated where if we just say, you know, to your earlier point, turn the other cheek, go the second mile, it's a lot less stressful. It's what the Lord wants us to do. And frankly, it just makes the quality of life better because you know that's what the Lord would have you to do. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting point. I hadn't really thought about that before. But yeah, a lot of stress comes from the pride of life. Expectations that are not being met, people who are not measuring up, uh, circumstances that are keeping us, holding us back. We just need to realize that th- there are no, I don't have rights. And it creates a very terrible environment. And, of course, that leads us to verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Other people have the right to live. Other people have the right to be successful. Other people have the right to win. I like to win all the time, but other people like to win too, and maybe maybe I should be happy. Well, they got to have that joy now. I like the joy of winning, but... I want other people to also have the joy of living. So if, and I'm not saying I'm going to let them win, but if they win, then I'm not going to look out for my own interests and be angry and bitter and frustrated. I'm not going to play this game anymore. But we're happy. They get to share this now. My loss is their gain, and I'm happy with that. And that was Jesus who, before the cross, said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He didn't lose. He didn't lose. I'm I'm sure that was very difficult. You know, all these Pharisees, all this hatred, all this miss, and then he lets he has to go into their hands and let them essentially he has to let them win, has to let them conquer over him in order to bring about our salvation. But the joy came because he knew what he was doing was going to work out to the best interests of other people. And you know, that's really the definition of agape love is acting in the best interests of other people. So really, verses uh, 3 and 4 here, uh, lowliness of mind, esteeming others better, looking out not for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Uh, That's what the agape love is that Jesus came to this earth to reveal to us. You know, hopefully by now our listeners can kind of get a sense of how this can apply to anyone, everyone. But I was also thinking, you know, there's probably special temptation, if you will, for those that are in, I'll call it, positions of authority, you know, whether it's a parent or a boss at work or, you know, even, you know, preachers and elders, et cetera, you know, this this sense of, you know, authority, you know, being somewhat in charge, you know, can provide its own set of, you know, temptations and, you know, quote, unquote, bossing other people or wanting to be served uh, as opposed to, you know, helping to serve those that, quote, unquote, report to them. Well, and that's what we see in Nebuchadnezzar. And that's what we see in these apostles. Nebuchadnezzar, this great Babylon that I have built. There are so many businessmen today who are arrogant and don't treat their employees well. Uh, they don't even care about their employees. And we saw this problem at the turn of the century. That's why the unions came in, because these barons were so arrogant and so selfish and so using other people for their own ends that it was, it was just terrible. And so Nebuchadnezzar's philosophy and attitude is so corrosive, so corrupting. And we see it all around us today. 
And yet, and, and then we see the apostles. Now, the apostles are looking at it from a very different perspective, and that is, because I have this ability, uh, I'm greater than you. And because I'm greater than you, you need to serve me. And I need to be put in a position where you are doing things for me, and I get to make the decisions, and I get the best of this and the best of that. And we'll, we'll see this in our next podcast, that that was the problem of the Pharisees. They liked the broad phylacteries. They liked the chief places. They liked to be called rabbi. And that's the pride of life. And it's a very dangerous thing. And so I think we can wrap up this first part of our podcast here and just let everybody appreciate what we've learned from Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve was tempted by desiring to be wise. And Jesus crushed his pride of life when Satan said, throw yourself off the temple and everybody will see how great you are. And we see it in Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, We see it in the apostles. And I hope that by now we're starting to get a glimmer of seeing it in ourselves because none of us are immune from this. I mean, there's, there's something for us to learn here. Yeah, Alan, I really appreciate the, the insights and the scriptures you brought forward to uh, share with our listeners. So, Brian, before we wrap up uh, today's part one, uh, any thoughts? Yeah, just one final thought for me. You know, when you were talking about the temptation of Jesus, Alan, at the beginning of the podcast, you know, Matthew 4 and Luke 4, where we have an account of that, we can see that pride is directly related to Satan. Because when he tries to tempt Jesus to fall down and worship him by offering up all of the kingdoms of the world, which the devil claimed he had the power to give, we can see that that's what the Satan promotes. He promotes pride. And boy, wouldn't it be great for me to be over all these kingdoms of the world? So when we know that the source of pride is from him, we certainly want to stay as far away from it as we can. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Well, and even back with uh, Eve, you know, part of the, the t- temptation with Satan was, hey, you know, you could be like God. You can know good and evil. You can make your own choices. You can be as smart as God, etc. And, of course, she fell into, into that trap as well. Alan, anything else before I wrap it up for today? No, I think that this is a perfect breaking point, and I hope our listeners will come on to the next one because we're really going to see some more about this concept of pride. And as I say, the whole purpose of this podcast is just to put a mirror in front of each one of us so that we can see ourselves clearly. I'm, I'm not trying to make anybody angry or make them feel bad. I just want all of our listeners to realize that if we're seeing any of these things in ourselves, that's of the world. And in 1 John chapter 2, he ends that with that he who does the will of God abides forever, but those who remain in the world, uh, they don't. They're going to be punished for what they do. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate that. And looking forward to uh, part two. But in the meanwhile, uh, I would encourage our listeners to go to our website at biblequestions.org. If you go into the topical area, uh, you can find under the letter P for pride and H for humility, almost uh, two opposites, with lots of articles there, uh, many of which have been written by Alan for your study to include uh, lots of uh, scripture references. So we would encourage you to, to avail yourself of that resource as well. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.